A reading from the letter of 1 John. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that, many that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and, do not, and you do not need to teach anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, I know a lot of you, you got coffee and donut when you got here, and uh, all of you who are at home today eating cold pizza, we are all one faith family, and I love you all. You know, back in August, the survey that we had showed clearly what we really already knew, that we have differing opinions about sexuality, but still, it was eye-popping to view the charts and see how evenly our responses landed on one side or the other. And yet, I was encouraged by one thing, by the unity of our responses to another statement where it said 92% of you said you wanted reassurance that all your future pastors uh, will believe in Jesus' virgin birth, his atoning work on the cross, his bodily resurrection, and his future return. Now, I had hoped that we could build on that as we approached tonight's church conference. I, I had hoped to bring us together around that common shared belief in Jesus. And, and, and now, like maybe all of you, I'm sad that tonight's vote may say more about our division than our unity. 
with wise counsel from our staff and from our church council, I have invited Alan Hansen to lead four sessions of reconciliation and healing. And uh, besides being a retired pastor in a previous life, Alan was a, a Ph.D. therapist and pastoral counselor. He's a retired fellow in the American Association of Pastoral Counselors. And he's done this kind of work for other churches before, back in Michigan and Ohio. Now, um, the, the, the sessions will be held over the next four weeks, two Sundays and two Mondays, as you see up there. However, um, the first one will not be held in the student ministry room like it says up on the slide. Uh, probably held in Fellowship Hall. Okay? And that would be next Sunday at 4 o'clock. And uh, you'll be at these sessions, you'll be able to hear others and you'll be able to be heard in a safe, respectful environment. And maybe some of you just want to come and listen. You don't want to say anything. I think you'll find it beneficial even then. Uh, and I hope that, that all of you will, will make your way to attend one of those, one of those four. And then our Ash Wednesday service on February 22nd, we are going to make it a service of reconciliation and healing. Uh, one other thing I need to clear up, uh, last Sunday night our district superintendent was here, Chad Engelmeyer, and he told about a, a young gay woman that he baptized who had been turned away from three previous churches. And I want you to know I would have baptized her as well, uh, regardless of our denomination. You know, just as we practice open communion, we have a similar approach with baptism. You know, at communion, we confess and repent, even if we're still trying to figure out what we're confessing and repenting of. And we invite all who turn to Jesus for forgiveness and who desire to live a, a new life in him to come and receive the bread and the cup. Well, it's the same with baptism. Any repenting person who turns to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, seeks to new, live a new life in him, are welcome to come for the sacrament of baptism. That's true in the United Methodist Church. It's true in the Global Methodist Church. I also want to let you know that I have, this month I have asked several people if they would make a one-time pledge to cover disaffiliation costs if it should pass tonight. And so far I've received uh, commitments for totaling $200,000 which will cover our disaffiliation payments plus some extra for legal fees. And then after, beyond that we'll need a little bit more to change our signage but that can be raised as well. Now, I did that so that tonight's decision will not be about money. I don't think it should be about money. I think it needs to be about what you believe is the way God wants us to go. All right? Let's pray about that, shall we? Will you join me as we pray? It's up on the screen. Holy and gracious God, in your mercy, you have called Faith Westwood to be a community of Jesus' people saved by grace through faith. Good and kind Father, let us not forsake the love we had at first. And if we have forsaken that love, we repent. Lord Jesus, we want to love you. Keep your commands 
and follow in your steps. Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth. As we make the decision about our denominational affiliation, make us wise through the Holy Scriptures so we do not just listen to what we want to hear. Save us from being deceived by the evil one. Help us to make our decisions not based on sentiment or anger or wishful thinking, but based on your will for us. May every word we say and every action we take be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you. This, this past week, uh, a funeral was held for a 98-year-old woman. A friend of hers, uh, Daniel Evans, who's a member of this church, conducted her service. And Daniel told me that this woman's life verse, her sort of life theme verse, is 1 John 2, verse 15. And it's the first verse of today's passage that Maggie just read for us. So let's open our Bibles to that, all right? If, you, if you're here in the house, there's a Bible in front of you, and you'll find it on page 1229. And if you're in your house, I hope you'll, you'll grab a Bible and follow along. Uh, you'll find it in 1 John near the back of the book. Today is week three in our seven Sunday series based on the first letter of John, uh, and the series is called, If We Walk in the Light. And today's message is, You Have the Anointing. Now, John is writing to a congregation of sisters and brothers who have been through some tough times. False teachers who deny that Christ came in human flesh have disrupted their fellowship and drawn people away, and it's been, it's been heartbreaking. And these people are grieving. Some of you have, have told me that, that I have disrupted our fellowship by encouraging tonight's vote. Well, I hope that you may begin to see that a decision of this nature was inevitable sooner or later. I just wanted us to face it while we still had the opportunity to make our own choice over it. But still, like so many of you, I am grieving. And my heart is heavy. And I, and I wonder if that's what some of these people are feeling that John is writing to. And it's possible that these false teachers said that they possessed secret knowledge, and that was part of this Gnosticism philosophy, you know, that they, had, that they had secret knowledge nobody else had. And maybe part of that was that we know the way for God to make you rich. So John warns them in verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, the love for the Father is not in them. The woman that I mentioned earlier, the 98-year-old woman who had made this her life verse, I'm told that she exuded a, a God-given contentment in her life. She, she did not set her heart on the things that the world offers. She set her heart on God. She gratefully, gratefully received all the things that God gave her, and she was also willing to give them up. That's a great way to live, isn't it? Psalm 62, verse 10 says, 
Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Now, Jesus didn't command everybody to be poor, but he did tell us to guard our hearts against loving money instead of God. Now, what is the world? When, you know, John talks about the world. What's he talking about? He means, and he, I think he means more than just worldly wealth, okay? The world stands for a culture that says it doesn't need God, doesn't want to listen to God. It's a, it's a world that's in rebellion to God. And loving the world means following the world's values and seeking approval from those who embrace it. But when you love God, the world cannot claim your heart. Verse 16 says more about the world. It says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. I like how the, the New Living Translation describes these three things. It says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements. Now, pride, he's not ta- these cravings are he's not talking about appreciating the simple things in life. He's talking about trying to fill the hunger in our souls with everything but God with things that can never truly satisfy. Have I told you about my car lately? Anyway, it's a, it's a plug-in hybrid. So, and I'm so thankful for this car. Almost every time I get it, I say, thank you, God. I, most days I don't use any gas because I plugged it in, but it's got a gas engine for when I need it, so it's the best of both worlds. But someday that car will wear out and rust out just like every other car I've owned. It's destined for the dump. I've had several cars in my life, and maybe most of the cars I've had, I'm not sure, where I was the last owner. You know, it got sold for parts and then, you know, went off to the junkyard. And the same is true for your car, your house your clothes, your most prized possessions. Verse 17 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what really matters to you? Getting more of what the world offers, trying to make it so that the world approves of everything you do, or following the will of God. And then John talks about antichrists, plural. And he's he's clearly referring to these false teachers. They are antichrists because they present a counterfeit Jesus. All right, let's look at verses 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour, meaning like this is the end times. Any time between Jesus' uh, first coming and his second coming is the end times. All right, for the last hour. This is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. 
This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they really did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. History tells us that one of these uh, false teachers uh, was was a guy named Carinthus. And uh, he tried to take over some of the churches in and around uh, Ephesus. And uh, Carinthus was educated in this Gnostic philosophy. And then he blended it in uh, to Christianity. And Carinthus claimed that God did not make the material world. And therefore, it is not good. And he said that the Spirit of Christ came upon an ordinary sinner named Jesus at his baptism and then left him before he died on the cross. According to Carinthus, Jesus wasn't really the Christ, the Messiah. He was merely a human vehicle for the Christ spirit. So Carinthus presented a counterfeit Jesus. Tradition says that one time uh, John... The, the writer of this letter was living in Ephesus and he went to a bathhouse uh, and he, as he entered there, kind of like going to a men's swimming pool, I guess, I don't know, but anyway, a bathhouse, and he, he, he saw his adversary there. He rushed out, fearing the bathhouse might collapse on them all and saying, Carinthus, the enemy of truth is inside. He didn't want to be there in case God judged him, you know, and <laughs> crashed. It's important to be able to spot a counterfeit Jesus. It's important to be able to spot a counterfeit Jesus. And that's why you and I have to be lifelong students of Scripture. You know, I find today that many Christians oversimplify Jesus. And if you oversimplify Jesus, you'll be an easy target for a false teacher. For example, Jesus taught us to love everybody. That's non-negotiable. We, we, we have to. We have to, we have to love our neighbors. We have to love our enemies. We have to love one another. But if we say that that was his entire message, well, just that, nothing else, then we have a true but inadequate view of Jesus. Now, are there people today who promote false teachings about Jesus? A couple years ago, I did a a four-week series in the summer, remember that, called Offshoots, where we looked at Christian nationalism, uh, Mormonism, Seventh-day Adventism, and Christian science. Each of them present a version of Jesus that is significantly different than what Scripture teaches. And sometimes counterfeits can be found even closer to home. Matthew and Mark's Gospels tell about a time a Gentile woman whose daughter was suffering terribly came to Jesus and asked for help. Jesus said, well, his mission at the time was to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. And then the woman knelt before him and begged, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the table. Jesus loved her answer. I can just see him grinning. And he marveled at her faith, and her daughter was healed. Now, why did Jesus decline at first? John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said that Jesus was testing her faith, which he does to us sometimes. A few years ago, a certain preacher was talking about this passage. 
and had a very different take on it. This preacher said that Jesus was finally giving up his bigotries and prejudices. What if I said that Jesus had bigotries and prejudices he needed to repent of? How would you react? Would I be presenting a counterfeit Jesus? Hebrews 4.15 says Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Yet he did not sin. The four Gospels, the rest of the New Testament, affirm that. Paul said Jesus had no sin. How could he be the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins if he was a sinner himself? In that same message, this certain preacher said, too many folks want to to box Jesus in, carve him in stone, and then create an idol out of him. Well, what if I said that? What if I said, you're making Jesus into an idol? And you you might say, Jesus cannot be made into an idol. He's the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So when we worshiping, when we worship him, we're not making him an idol. He's the real thing. And you would be right. Perhaps this certain preacher is giving us a counterfeit Jesus. And the preacher who said that Jesus had to repent of his bigotries and prejudices, and who said that people make an idol out of him, is a bishop in the United Methodist Church. She's our shepherd for all of the congregations and clergy in Colorado and Wyoming, Montana, and Utah. I'm not saying she represents all bishops. She doesn't. But we have to be able to to spot counterfeit when we see it. Verse 20, back to our Bibles. Verse 20 says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. What What is this anointing by which we know the truth? The Hebrew word Messiah and the Greek word Christ both mean the anointed one. So Jesus is the anointed one, the anointed king, God's one and only son. While some people push a counterfeit Jesus, you know better. Because you are a Christ person. You are anointed by the anointed one. You have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. You have been taught the the anointed word of God, you know the truth. Let's skip down to verse 26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. It happened then, it happens now, but you belong to the truth. Verse 27. As for you, The anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, 
just as it has taught you, remain in him. Remain where? In him. Whatever our denominational direction is tomorrow morning, remain in him. As a United Methodist, my appointment to Faith Westwood is up for renewal every year. I've been doing this for more than 40 years. Uh, My appointments are made by the bishop and the district superintendents, and those will be happening in the next month or two. And the new appointment year then begins July 1st. If we remain United Methodist, I have asked to remain as your pastor for another appointment year. I hope they allow me to stay. But even if not, because I never know, right? I never know. But even if not, I urge you to remain in Christ. Remain in Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, will you anoint us with truth? Anoint us with wisdom. Anoint us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you have promised us that if we remain in you, you will remain in us. And you will prune us, and we will bear much fruit. And it will be all for God's glory and not for our glory. And Lord, we will love each other. We will love each other as you have commanded. And now let's take a couple of minutes to pray silently and bring to God whatever's on our hearts. Uh, Feel free to remain where you're seated to pray, but I also would invite you to come forward. For those of you who wish to, just to stand or kneel at the steps to pray.